You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. My favorite podcast currently uh, is a podcast that some of you guys may have heard of before called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Um, I like the Bible Project a lot. I've been listening a lot to the Bridgetown community, Bridgetown Church um, out in um, Portland, and um, also been listening to, I think it's Mark Sayers, uh, the church in New York, but um, the rise and fall of Mars Hill came out a couple of months ago, um, and it just kind of like filled up my feed. You know, when something like virally just takes over your feed for long enough on Facebook, you're like, okay, well, I guess I have to pay attention to this. And so um, I listened in. I, uh, I'm 37, so uh, the Mars Hill Church, which was planted in 1996 and kind of grew into real popularity and influence in this, in, into the world, really, um, took place kind of around the time when I was in college. So I remember um, having kind of personal uh, interaction and then kind of hearing the podcast, uh, looking back on it, this church uh, is no longer running it. It did um, uh, kind of stop around 2014, um, surrounding a lot of what the church podcast is really talking about, some of the um, uh, abuse, really, and uh, misuse of authority within the church, um, somewhat from uh, the lead pastor there as well as some of the elders. And so... Um, and so I've had kind of a roller coaster ride being in church, being a part of church my whole life, being a pastor, listening to um, the, uh, the uh, recording and, and, um, and the, um, the journal, the long-form journal um, reporting, I guess, of, of, of that story of a church. And so um, the question that they're asking you in the, in the podcast is this question, you know, who killed Mars, Mars Hill Church? This is kind of like a cryptic way to talk about it, I guess, but who killed Mars Hill Church? And really, the... Um, the, the journal, the, um, the investigation of it all, I suppose, and the interviews kind of revealed it's more than just um, one person or one pastor. It's, it's a collection of uh, elders that kind of permit for either abuse or toxicity to exist both in staff culture and in church. Um, but then even beyond that, um, you know, you start to uh, ask questions as really all of us as Americans were all um, following and being influenced uh, by that particular church during that season of time, as well as just the people within the congregation at large were hearing and seeing some of the arrogance, some of the pride, and some of the problems that were existing uh, were absolutely public domain, and nobody really seemed to flinch at it whatsoever. And so it really asked a bigger question, you know, it's not just like, why did it fall, but why didn't we see it coming, I think is the question we should be asking ourselves. And so it's been helpful, it's been helpful to think about cause and effect uh, chains, um, uh, to really um, put, put language to and context to the idea of potentially uh, spiritual abuse within church and, um, and arrogance within leadership. And, and uh, so it's been humbling and it's been important, I think, to listen to. Uh, but I do think that the risk and the danger of uh, listening to a podcast like that or a story like that is to imagine that that story is about someone else and not about us. Uh, to imagine that... Um, those kind of problems only exist in those big mega churches or those big celebrity pastors or those conservative evangelical churches or those um, Calvinist uh, reformed theology people or those complementarianists. It's like as though the problem of the fall of a church exists with those people and never us. And so the, the truth of the matter is, is that churches fall all the time and churches fall for all kinds of different reasons. Churches can fall because they get gridlocked by committees and democratic little enclaves that exist within churches. They can get uh, underrooted by a lack of strong theology and charismania. They can, um, they can fall because a leader 
um, doesn't want to let go of it at the end of their tenure, and so they hang on to it, and they don't pass it along when God has clearly you know, shown that the, the, the time and the close of a different leader. There's many different reasons that a church can fall. Churches fall for all various different reasons, but ultimately every church, uh, if it falls, falls because of pride. Um, this is my, my, my thought of the day as we get into the passage this morning, but truth is that any church can fall. It could be a house church. It doesn't have to be a big church, right? Any church can fall because all churches have people, and all people have pride, and every church rises and falls on humility and pride. The falling of churches doesn't happen because of denominationalism or because of seeker-sensitiveness or because of charismaticness or because of reformed theology or because of conservativeness or because of clickiness. Like, churches fall ultimately because of one reason, because of pride. And that could exist and probably does exist more than we know in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own churches. And so that story is not about someone else somewhere else. That story is about us. And so Peter, um, we've been in this series uh, called Exiles. It is a letter to... um, Modern-day Turkey, a highly persecuted in that period of time, church, and the label that he gives to his church and to that community at that time is an exile. You're a foreigner here. You're a visitor. You're not home here. You're passing through. And so um, the reaction of a human being when they're under pressure and they're being tempted and tested on every different side is to fight or to flee. Uh, that's what humans do. We fight. We try and take control. When we don't feel like we're in control, we fight. We take back control. Or... We just lay down and die and we assimilate, but the message of the exile from Peter is that to follow Christ in his sojourning through this place is not to fight or to flee, but to stand firm, to have a living hope somewhere else, and to live a life before all types of people that cannot make sense without the hope of the gospel. That's the call of the exile. There is a third way, not to fight or to flee, but to stand firm, and so he would encourage a church then and a church now and a church for all time that is pressed on all sides, that is tempted from within and persecuted from without? How would you survive and stand firm as a church in a testing season? And his recommendation to us um, this morning, even as a church here at City Lights in Greenville, is to be humble. Churches rise and fall not because of tithing or because of politics or because of celebrity pastors. They fall because of pride. And the only way you and me are going to make it out of this thing without caving in or fighting back and being the very evil that comes against us by trying to take control by human kingdoms and not heaven's kingdom is if we would fail to be humble because God opposes the proud and he uplifts the humble. And so this is the way he defines humility in the passage as we get through it. Um, it's not to talk less per se or to be self-deprecating or to, you know, um, subscribe to you know, certain theologies or methodologies of church. It's much more about motive. And he speaks to leaders and followers in churches, both then and now, and he says that if you're a leader, you're a shepherd, and the way that you stay humble is to keep your eyes on the crown. The only way that a leader could possibly shepherd at a time like this, to be unintimidated, to be unbribable, and to be unoffended, is to have their eyes fixed on one thing, and that is the crown of glory that that the good shepherd will give to a shepherd when he returns. That's the only motive that will keep us pure. And he speaks to followers, those that are younger in the church and those that are growing up in their faith, to submit not to ultimately to a man's authority, but to God's authority, and to keep their eyes on the mighty hand of God, 
because God opposes the proud, but uplifts the humble in every single circumstance. And so he tells the church, if you're going to make it through the persecution, if you're going to make it through the cultural context that we live in today, if you're going to make it through the ebbs of the times and the seasons and the sway, you're going to have to be humble. That's the only insulation we will ever have from falling because God opposes the proud and he uplifts the humble. And so he uses this imagery. He says, you want to be clothed in humility. I want to show you a picture of an um, uh, NBA superstar that, it's not my favorite, but he's a cool dude named Russell Westbrook. You guys know Russell? Uh, he is the uh, Mr. Triple-Double. He has more triple-doubles than anyone in the league currently, um, and apparently has quite the fashion sense. Uh, showed up at the first game as a Laker with this outfit on, kind of looked like a tweener between Popeye and olive oil, I think. Um, but what is that? What does it mean to be clothed, clothed in humility? When we, when we dress up, it's usually our first impression. It's the thing that we want other people to know about us. We would dress in a way so that people would notice it and we would create a sort of identity for ourselves. And so what is Peter saying is that if they know something about you, like, let it not be you're the church that speaks in tongues or you're the church that, you know, is exegetical or you're the church that has small groups. Like, let them know you by your humility. Be clothed in it. Let that be the number one and defining thing that they would think about your attitude and your character as an individual or as a collective, but the first distinctive that comes off their mouth be, that's what humility looks like. And so I always remember this. Um, we have something called here at City Lights, uh, we um, are grace affiliated, which means we're God's response to, or godly response to abuse in Christian environments. Um, it was a ministry that we got accredited with a couple years ago for the sake of our, our, our children and for our youth. Um, because in today's day and age, it's just significant and important that we um, put safety first with the children. So that's why, if you guys ever wonder why we have hopefully extra volunteers in every single room and why we don't even allow couples just to serve in the same room, we are affiliated with, with Grace to try and keep kids safe. And so it's kind of an alarming thing reading some of these books and the statistics. The truth is, is that um, really it's, it's not the person that you think is going to be a predator that's really the predator. It's usually not the person hiding in the corner with the weird mustache or something. It's usually the person at the front hosting the party, uh, honestly. And so, um, but I always remember this when we were trained on this thing. They would talk about why churches sometimes are easy targets uh, for predators because churches have a lot of needs that need to get fell, filled, and so they're easy to trust people that they shouldn't. This is what they're saying. It's, uh, it's hard to spot. You're not as um, observant as you think. And, uh, and churches are oftentimes vulnerable places because it's this place of need. And so here's where I think the crux of the thing falls down, is if you guys have been doing church for any amount of time, either following or leading in church, church is hard. And if I've told you it's not, I was just trying to sell you something, I guess. Church is about trying to get you to carry your cross, while other people aren't. And so here's the, here's the trick. Then we have to handle childcare, and then we have to handle parking and building and all these other things. And so what happens is, is that because church is so hard to build, we settle for motivating with pride rather than humility. Because that fire has to get put out, we're okay with putting people to serve and to lead that might be qualified in competency but not in character. And so because it's expedient, we will fill gaps with pride when they should be filled with humility. And that only puts, that only puts sheep in danger, it only puts churches in danger. And so I'm going to get into this passage, but basically there are three main motives that, um, that leaders uh, can carry. You and I do. We are mixed bags, you and I. And that story is not about them. It is about us. That sheep and shepherds can carry these motives, and they are doing 
the building up of church with false motives. And so, and so I, think, I think Peter would say this, um, and maybe you would admit to it too, that it's much easier to run a church on guilt and greed and power than humility. And that's some of the, some of the things that he talks about. So um, anyways, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 6, he says, he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as fellow elders and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. So I want you to notice that the opening two verses uh, present Peter as not only the message, uh, but the model of the message. One of the cool things about the Bible is we don't just have a textbook. We do have letters, and those letters come along with testimonies and, message, and messages along with the message itself. And so Peter is, is demonstrating his message. If you notice, he starts out in verse 1. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder. Well, the truth is he's not just a fellow elder. He's an apostle. Apostles are eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Christ. And in church history, Peter, obviously, has authority to write the Bible. Can you think about that? Like his, his pen that he holds in his hand has the authority, even in this, in this morning, to be an eyewitness and a, and a testimony to the resurrection of Christ. And so he, the guy who has the authority to write the Bible, just says, hey, man, I'm just a teacher like you. An elder has the authority to teach the Bible. An apostle has the ability to write the Bible. And he's saying, I'm not going to pull my apostle card. Not only that, he goes further. He says, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, and really, I'm just a witness. At the end of the day, even though I have authority to write the Bible and I have authority to teach the Bible, ultimately, I just consider myself a witness to the gospel. And if everything, whatever happens in my life, come what may, that is ultimately at the core foundation of who I consider myself to be. I'm not a fancy, awesome apostle, writer, speaker, person. I'm not, I'm not even just a teacher. I'm a son. And I am here to witness with you the gospel, which is the most important thing. And so there's a little bit of a, of a dovetail here at the end of verse 2. Be shepherds, he says, of God's flock that is under your care, um, watching over them. Because we are witnesses of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. And so this is what I think is, he's rooting this message with in terms of what does it mean to be um, a leader in God's church? He says it's somebody that is obsessed with the crown, that he's going to say in a moment that, that there is going to be a day when the great shepherd, the capital S shepherd, returns. And so anyone that, that is in his flock that shepherds his flock, the one that he died for and paid his blood for, is going to get a crown and that the person that leads God's church can only be fixated, can only be motivated by th that thing. And so what do you call a person? What do you call a person that covers and cares for God's flock? What do you call a person that lays his life down, that is not the hired hand, that is not the wolf, that is not the thief, that is not the, um, the, the person that breaks in and steals? What do you call that person? You call that person a shepherd. If the church, if the church was um, a democracy then uh, you would have a politician leading the church. You'd have somebody that was um, trying to be influential and to raise support and to be liked. Uh, if, if that was the institution that was created for God's family, was, was a democracy, then you would have pundits. You would have lobbyists. You would have committees. And you would have contracts. And you would run the thing on a constitution as there was a constitutional democracy. But the church is not a democracy. The church is a flock. If the church was a dictatorship, you would have a strong-willed, you know, um, uh, driven, um, 
an often fear-based and intimidating leader at the front of it, but God did not install democracies or dictatorships. He installed a flock, and so he's installed shepherds. The church of God is not a business, and it runs, and it has taxes, and it has finances, and, and ultimately, it has a budget, right? But its identity is not defined by its budget. It is not a business. If it was, it would need CEOs. It would need people with slick campaigns. It would need a plan with a bottom line, and it would have to react and respond to its residual bottom line. But it's not a business. And so it has shepherds. The church is not a nonprofit. Because if it was a nonprofit, it would need justice advocates and it need people that give really awesome, pushy speeches about you know, social commentary. But that's not what it is. It has shepherds. And so I don't know about you, but I am so much less impressed at 36 with sexy Steve pastors as I am with faithful shepherds. Uh, Charlie Boyd, Fellowship Greenville, I talk about him. I, I, I would consider him my elder. I would consider him somebody that I would submit to. And um, he celebrated 25 years of ministry. And I'm not as impressed with people that start things as people that finish things. And he's not got 16 alliterations and he's not up there with uh, the coolest new haircut or whatever. He's a faithful man who loves his family and teaches the word. And I want to be like that. Tom Rolson's at home taking care of his family, uh, of course, because uh, we had a COVID spree recently in our church and in different families around. Um, Tom Rolston, even this week, manually mowed the lawn over at Odom Circle. He and Scott continually cry during meetings over the gospel and the kindness of Jesus. Tom Rolston uh, serves and leads our prayer team and a small group by himself. And you might not even know his name. And I want to tell you something about Tom and Scott and Charlie. The reason why they're unoffendable and the reason why they serve diligently in every season and the reason why they're not up and down with the, with the storms of life and the rain is because they're not motivated by people's approval or lack of approval of them. They're motivated by the crown. And so the deal, um, uh, the deal with, with, uh, with leadership is, um, I'm going to read a passage to you here in a second, but... Um, that all of us ultimately are sheep with Jesus. As we, if we follow Jesus, if we love Jesus, we're, we're sheep, but all of us also are shepherds. I want to read this to you in John chapter 21. Uh, this is the testimonial part, I think, of, uh, of, of Peter's testimony in the midst of a passage like this, John 21, verses 15 through 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Verse 16, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. The translation of John 21 and the chorus in response for Peter's love for Jesus is Peter's call to feed sheep. And so every one of us in this room are sheep, but ultimately every one of us in the room that claims that we love Jesus are also shepherds as well. So this passage is written to the biblical office of elders, but at that period of time, most churches are just meeting in houses and homes anyway, so really they're like small group. But if you're not a small group leader, you're also probably either a parent or a teacher or some kind of a, um, 
responsibility somewhere in the world. And just like it is when we're on a foggy night with brake lights ahead of us, we might not know exactly who's following us, but in foggy days, people follow the person in front of them. And so you're, you're leading somebody somewhere. The question is, where are you leading them? And so ultimately, we are all reading this letter as sheep, but we're also all reading this letter as shepherds. And so it's kind of like um, if you're a guy, if you ever asked a girl out to a date and uh, you had to meet the dad. Do you remember this first meeting? I don't know. You guys know this thing? Or ask them to marry him or whatever? Boy, is that, do you ever just feel warm in a bad way when you show up to that meeting? And the question is always, the question is always, whether or not it's verbal or nonverbal, is why do you want to date my daughter? What are your intentions, sir? Right? That's the question. And so here's the deal. Leading in the church is essentially laying your life down. And we're all sheep and we're also shepherds as well. And so the question becomes, if I want to be a leader, then why on earth would I ever want to do that? So he runs through this passage and he kind of, he checks our heart at the door. And so I just say, in the areas that you are a shepherd, you're a sheep, but you're also a shepherd, like somebody's following you and you're influencing somebody. And this is what the heart of a shepherd should be. This is what it says. Why do you want to be a leader? Why do you want to shepherds God's flock that he paid for with his own blood? Is it because you must or because you're willing? This is verse two. As God wants you to, not pursuing a dishonest gain, but eager to serve. What is your motive? What Peter seems to be paying attention to here is not the size of the church or even the methodology, the ecclesiology of the thing. He's talking about the motive, the heart. Like, why are you here? Why do you want to be a leader? Because being a leader is hard. And so I want, to, I want to check the motive here. Is it for dishonest gain or is it eager to serve? Are you lording it over those entrusted to you or being examples to the flock? Because the only motive that will ever get you through to be unoffendable and to be um, unbribable and to be unwavering is this motive right here, verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, is that what is on your mind? Is that what is on your heart when you get up to preach? Is that what is on your heart when you serve and when you lead small group? Is that what is on your heart when you're parenting? Is it for the great crown of glory to the chief shepherd? Because if there's anything else motivating you, you're doing more damage than help. You will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And so I just have a couple of questions to you as a shepherd, because we're all sheep, but we're also all shepherds, is as you lead, are you doing it because you have something to prove or something to give? The truth is, you cannot make it through this life without at least a little bit of insecurity, a doubt that you have significance that you matter and mean something. And writing a book and giving speeches and being up in front of people can be somewhat uh, short-term gratifying and try and ease, although it can't solve the problem of proving your worth and significance to yourself. But ultimately, the flock is not for your ability to self-actualize. Our leadership and our serving of our families is not to prove that we are good enough or that we are worthy of love and belonging because all that's already been taken care of at the cross. And so as we approach the threshold of leadership and parenting, we dare not approach the people that we lead and we cover and we care for with an ache to be approved of. Because if that's our motive, we will only fail and fall because God opposes the proud but uplifts the humble. That's the question that he'll ask at the door. Number two, am I here to serve or be served? One question that, or one, one comment, I guess I should say, that really always strikes me the wrong way if it's ever crossing my mind or harder when I talk to people 
is if I ask them a specific task or we talk about different things uh, to do, if the person says, well, I think that that's like below my job description. You know, that kind of an answer like, well, there's other people that ought to be doing that. I'm too busy for that or that's just not my job description. And this passage is saying, there's nothing below your job description. You're not here to be served. You're here to serve. It is an honor to follow his example to be like him. And the minute that we ever surpass that job description, we lose the job description altogether because God opposes the proud and he uplifts the humble. And so that's a question I would ask of you as a parent, you know, as a guardian, as a teacher. Are you here to serve or be served? Lastly, if you're leading in any capacity within the church, Acts 20, 28 says that God did not spare his own son. He, he shed blood for his flock. If you are a shepherd in his flock, are you doing it because you have an opinion or an example? Oftentimes, um, we'll sit under a leader and we'll have an idea about the way things ought to be. Anybody ever do that? If I was in charge, this is what it would be. And then the impulse of that becomes, I'm going to go be a leader to go and get my opinion accomplished. And what he's saying is that we're not leading with opinions, we're leading with examples. We're leading with a life lived following Christ, not the least of these is submitting to whoever it is that we're in front of, not because they're better than us, but because Christ has shown us the way forward in submission. And so those are three questions to ask yourself. Leading is hard. Building the church is hard, so it's easier to get it done with pride than humility. And the question we would ask ourselves in our leadership in church, in our leadership, in making disciples, in our classrooms, in our homes, are we doing this to prove something or to give something, to serve or be served, to have an opinion or to give an example? Next, he says, short verse but big implications, verse 5, in the same way you are younger, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And so ultimately the passage is much wider than just younger people or just young men in some of the translations you guys might have. It's really the entire church uh, is to submit to um, a covering and a shepherding as well as to submit to one another. And really, if you look at in the same way, it sends you back up to the verse and applies all of those um, distinctives, not only for leading, but also following in the church. Uh, And so Again, um, as we looked at wives, as we looked at submitting to government, as we looked to submission to all different kinds of realms of society, um, ultimately we're not submitting because they're better, because they're smarter, because they're perfect, because they're character, because they're competency. Uh, We submit because that's what Jesus did. And he lived a great example submitting to pharisaical rulers in some cases, or pharisaical uh, people in some cases, submitting to Caesar, submitting to his parents who were 16 years old, and if you can show me a better life lived than Jesus, then do what they did, right? But he submitted. And so our submission isn't because we're conservative. Our submission is not because we're afraid of people. Our submission is because we want to be like Christ and we want to look like Jesus, okay? And so he's saying that as, as a person, okay, we're, we, we, are, we are submitting to the flock and we are submitting to a shepherd uh, that we can follow because ultimately a lone sheep, a solo sheep is just somebody's dinner, right? We're all shepherds, but we're also all sheep. And a sheep by himself is just dinner, Okay, and so I'll challenge you with that is like the reason why the fivefold church exists with the nations and the generations is because um, when I do my small group of all four and no more in YouTube church, I do not get the nations and I don't get the generations. And so the reality is the reason why a solo sheep is just somebody's lunch, right, is because my sheepness makes me wander and my wandering will always go towards my will be done versus thy will be done. That's the end of this. That's how that goes. And so, and so that's why 
um, part of God's process is to be a part of a flock and to um, submit not to orders, but to the overall order. You're not submitting to somebody just doing whatever they say for you to do, and it doesn't mean that you can't, um, can't you know, protest and, and have good, healthy conflict and all those sorts of things. That's, that's not what that's about. But it is about belonging, not just believing. It's about belonging to a flock. And so there's some heart questions that come along. If we go backwards up, verse 6, backwards up into the earlier parts of the passage, what would the guilt, the guilt motive look like for being in church? The guilt motive would be, what is the least I can do versus what is the most I can do? Right? So it's easier to build with pride than with humility. And the pride derivative there for both the leader and the follower is the guilt one. Like I'm here to basically get this guilt and this feeling of, um, uh, of insignificance off me, so I'm going to do the least amount. I'm going to check the box with the least amount I can do. The second um, heart distinctive question could be the greed question. Uh, is, is the question in my heart as I approach God's flock, which he died for, is it what can I, um, what, what's in it for me or what's in it for us? And question here that we could ask ourselves as we submit, not again to orders, but the overall order of the church, the overall unity of the church would be this question, am I here for me, am I here for us? And lastly, the same exact question for control. Am I motivated here to be a part of the church, to have control and have a little enclave that I can manipulate and maneuver because the world is too crazy for me and busy and uncontrolled and so forth. That is not the correct motive for why we would gather and join in church. We are joining together to be examples to one another as brothers and sisters. And so ultimately, ultimately, it can be a scary thing to be a part of um, a church with people and leaders that you may or may not trust in every single season. And so this is what God would say to you. This is what God would say to you is that Uh, Just like the leader, the shepherd, would be motivated by the crown alone, that all of us are motivated as we are cared for by a great shepherd, by God's hand, by God's mighty right hand. And so the the quote that I would have on the screen there is this, uh, never let someone's pride rob you of your humility. Ultimately, uh, myself and Tom and Charlie Boyd and any other people that are in your life that are leaders are going to uh, fail, are going to fail in small ways and in big ways, but we can't allow uh, the failure of any shepherd to rob us of an opportunity to be humble um, in our own personal walk. It says to submit ourselves to God mighty, God's mighty right hand because he's ultimately the one um, that uplifts us. And so ultimately, um, this is uh, what I think is ultimately the hardest thing, I guess, about being uh, within a flock and under a, a lowercase s shepherd and a uh, uppercase s great shepherd, is that ultimately you and I are following Jesus and picking up our cross and asked to be humble about, around people that are not. That's the reality, is if you are called to be a leader, um, you are called to cover and care for sheep that will sometimes flatter you and then sometimes talk poorly to you, uh, in front of you, or not in front of you, right? If you are a leader within a church, what you've signed up for is um, to care and cover for sheep that wander um, and sheep that are right next to you all the time. Um, if you have signed up to lead in God's church and to be an example in God's church, um, you have put yourself in front of opportunities to um, be pulled by uh, greed and by money, but also by uh, need and urgent uh, fires to be put out in every, any, any given moment, right? And the only way that you're gonna stay immune to that 
is by keeping your eyes set on the crown of glory. That is the only thing that can motivate a good shepherd, like a capital S shepherd. And ultimately, if you are following, if you are in a church and a member of a church, then the hardest thing is, is that you're going to be surrounded by people and you're asked to be humble around people that are not and follow people um, that are not. And so um, I would personally ask you to excuse me of any um, ways that I've potentially caused you over the months or the years, I'm sure that I have, um, to stumble by way of my pride and by way of my selfishness and by way of my ambition. Um, I truly and sincerely ask uh, for your forgiveness for those things as we work out faith and godliness together. But I would also ask that you would not allow my pride to rob you of an opportunity for humility. Because ultimately, God is the one that opposes the proud and uplifts the humble. The reason why churches fall is not because of the wrong programs or the wrong um, plans, but ultimately because of motives. And ultimately because not just that pride kills churches, but God opposes proud churches. And what I want to encourage you with is that ultimately the, the encouragement of a shepherd or a submitter in the church is just simply this question, is, is God a good shepherd or not? Is he the one that's taking care of the church or is it the pastor? Is he the one that's leading the church or is it the volunteers? Is he the one that's funding the church or is it the tithe? That is ultimately the question that is at hand the way that we will only ever make it through seasons like this and not fall down on ourselves is if we clothe ourselves in humility, which is to seek the crown above every other thing and seek his hand above every other thing and be humble because the only way to make it through and to stand firm in a world like this is to be clothed in humility. And so I have a couple of uh, intentional questions that maybe you would uh, take a picture of or, or consider um, as we might close in a moment of prayer this morning. But the intentional question is for your group, and it's for your spouse, uh, it's for a prayer partner, it's for yourself, but what does it look like to be clothed in humility? Uh, number one, some sub-questions here, where is my shepherding and submitting um, most likely motivated by guilt, creed, greed, or power? And I would say it's not if, but where. We are mixed bags, you and I, and that story is not about them, it is about us, and somebody is following us. And ultimately, um, our stewardship of that thing comes not with our methods, but with our motives. All of us have an ache for significance. All of us would rather be served than to serve. All of us have opinions that want to be heard, but the shepherd lays his life down for the sheep, not like the hired hand, not like the wolves, not like the thief. And so if you are in front of God's flock and someone is following you, then you and we cannot afford to have motives other than the crown in our heart. Where am I motivated? By guilt, greed, and power as opposed to being a willing servant, eager to serve, and set an example to the flock, not lording over them? That's the first question. Where am I shepherding and submitting in ways that might be motivated by false pretenses? Number two, who has God given me as a willing servant and example of Christ? We are all shepherds, and we are all ultimately sheep. And a lone sheep is just somebody's lunch. And so the way that we can stay safe is to stay together which looks like submission, both to shepherds and to a flock. And so the sheep only wanders in one direction. My will be done. Project me, project self, self-improvement, self-actualization, meditation, inward, myself. That's not the gospel. That's not the identity of what he has called us to be as lovers of Jesus. Lovers of Jesus are sheep and shepherds. And so we are being called back to the flock. We are called to submit and to lead and lay our lives down 
And so who has God given me as a willing servant and example of, of Christ that I might submit to, that I might follow? Verse three, how can I, or number three rather, how can I shepherd for the crown um, and submit to his hand this week? Ultimately, I think that the only way to be humble, to stay humble, is to not think less about self, but, or less, less of self, but less about self. That our eyes would not be put on the leaders in front of us or put in the mirror, but ultimately put on him the only trustworthy motive through every thick and thin storm, the one that is going to keep us unoffended and unbribable, the only motives that we can have is his crown and his hand. That is the only thing that we can trust. It's much easier to follow somebody that we can see. It's much easier to lead somebody that can see, but we're not called to lead or follow with with our eyes, um, but with our faith, that we would trust a good shepherd that's taking care of his sheep, that's taking care of his flock, and if your task is to be humble, he will uplift you in due time. This is how the passage ends. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Your task is to submit yourself under his mighty right hand that he might uplift you. Verse six, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty right hand that he may lift you up in due time. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.